0: Hey, friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create.
1: These ideas come from Rebecca's best selling book, Rhythms of Renewal Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm.
0: Welcome back. I'm Rebecca.
1: And I'm Gabe. And we are so glad you're with us as we keep walking out this journey of lots of home time, lots of, quote, stay at home.
0: Yes. Working from home, parenting from home, homeschooling cooking from home. Cooking from home. Cooking Eating from
1: home. home Forging in the woods.
0: I don't know that everyone is doing that, Gabe, but I'm glad that you are.
1: <laughs> but listen, this chance to live out these rhythms is like a gift. I know it's a hard time. There's lots of disappointments people are experiencing in this. Lots of plans have canceled. I know for you and me, there's so much over the next few months just canceled. You know, it's it's done. Yeah. So you kind of had to start over and remap out what is our day going to look like, our week, how are we going to start thinking about the time? And so I know we've been really grateful for just the sun being out this week.
0: Yes, we have. And structure. We all know that we thrive in structure. And I'm sure everybody, every family, every single person, they're just having to create a pattern, a rhythm, a plan and work it out. So we're with you guys.
1: Yeah, we know how hard it can be. And one of the things so many of our listeners, many of you gave us feedback over the last several weeks about some of the th- ways that we could go deeper in this whole conversation about rhythms for life and help you actually live it out. So there was converse I mean there was lots of requests for scripture and prayer time with Rebecca, Q&As where we could interact and answer your questions also personal growth, yeah, just parenting ways to, tips, marriage. Yeah, growing our relationships. So what we've done and Rebecca's team over the last couple of weeks is try to map out how could we be intentional and use the next three months, where we're not quite sure when things go back to normal or if they go back to normal, how can we be really careful to take advantage of the time?
0: Yeah. And because it is, time is our greatest commodity. It's a gift we have right now. And I, I do think we'll look back and go, What do we do with that time? That unexpected turn of events that gave us a lot of free time. It's amazing how much more I'm just calling my family and FaceTiming them almost every other day because it's so funny. My mom, I called her just now and she's like, you must just be hanging out. And of course I was. I was on our porch swing with joy and I was like, we've got 30 minutes. I want to call mom. I think that's important that we're all doing that. We're being uh, reminded of what matters most and we can no longer be the busy person that we were. And so this has been a really fun brainstorm over the last couple of weeks because over 600 of you responded to the survey that we did actually a couple months ago. And I just said, how can we serve you more? How can we serve the Rhythms for Life community? And so many of you did ask for specific equipping, tools, resources, access, um, live chats Q&As with Gabe and I and and so we're doing it. We're doing it. In fact, we're launching tomorrow the Rhythms for Life learning community April 1st through June 30th. So 90 days to peace and purpose.
1: Yeah, so this is our intentional plan. We've been working on this over the last couple of weeks to really lay out what would a daily rhythm look like. How could we look at Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and take on rest, restore, connect, create with you, a limited number of you in a community. Where we get to interact with you, you get to ask your questions that sometimes on a podcast you probably have, but you never have a medium to do that. And so we've structured a week. And Rebecca, tell them kind of how the week will work. And we're gonna do this together. It's gonna be 13 weeks, and we're gonna do this not just alone, but with With
0: other other people
1: who are hanging out trying to figure out these same rhythms.
0: Yeah, I think we're all propelled when we watch other people doing it. We're running alongside, we're on mission, we're looking at something, and that's what we're doing. I think we're all on mission to find peace and purpose in a season that's full of chaos and unknowns. And so the way we've structured the week is to look Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so we've got Rest, Restore, Connect, Create. Monday will be Rest, and it's just me doing a live of just a scripture and prayer just teaching and then interactive with whoever is watching at that moment. And you can always watch it on demand later. Then Tuesday, we're going to send you a recipe of the week, a healthy version, but tasty, something kids like. Our kids have to have approved it, trust me, before I share it with you. And
1: something that if your husband is willing to help you in the kitchen or a friend that you guys can make it together, we'll be making it with our family and it'll be a way that we can all be yeah. Trying something good that's also restorative and good for our bodies.
0: And then some suggestions for fitness, getting outside, doing something as a family or doing something with your spouse or your friend, whoever whoever you're with that you are okay being with six feet apart. <laughs> Just making sure that there's an active recreational part to your week. Wednesday, so that's restore. Wednesday is all about connect. So. Yeah, I'm
1: excited about this because it's gonna be more about relationships and understanding that. And I know in the dynamic we're in now lots of time together with the same people, you start to see where your relationships might have some fractures and some need of repair and some healing. You can't kind of run away from it. You can't be distracted. And so we'll talk about marriage, things that we've been learning and have learned, and also parenting. How do we parent teens? How do we think about our six-year-old toddlers? So for those of you who are parents and you're kind of navigating trying to do homeschool, trying to make sure everybody's staying healthy and active. We're going to talk about the ways we've learned to incorporate rhythms into the life of our marriage and also our kids.
0: I believe this is an invitation to restore families. And so when you're always with your people, that relational piece is so vital. And I think, like you said, those things are exposed that need some areas of healing. And so I've been specifically praying for people lately, even on Instagram and Facebook Lives, who are asking for restoration of marriages. So yes, like this is something that... We can all come around together, and maybe you're thinking, well, our marriage isn't suffering, but we're distant, or we have been distant, or we've been so busy we're not really connecting. I think this is an invitation to flourishing in marriage. Um, I mean, (laughs) once you kind of get all this stuff out, then that healing journey begins, and I, I hope that that's the case for a lot of people going on this journey.
1: And then Thursday, we're talking about Create, and what a great time to do that. We have a little more time. We can work with our hands more. We can learn something new. There's a lot of areas in that rhythm of create that we want to help you think about and help you plan for. And then on Fridays, we're going to do a live Q&A. So Rebecca and I will be together with you, answering your questions, trying to give you that feedback. Yeah. What have you learned that week? What do you need a little more insight on as you head into the weekend? And then every month over these three months, we're going to have a book and there's going to be a book club that you can opt into. If you already feel like you have too many books going on, we don't want to add one more burden to you. But if you want to join with a community of people reading great books, we're going to once a month get into a book and then we'll talk about it. We're also going to give you help with date night. So if your husband or if you want to plan a date night and you can't go out to eat or you can't do the typical thing, we're going to give you some fun ideas about how to do that.
0: Yeah, we need some creativity. I think the beauty of this season is we are resilient and resourceful, so we have to reimagine how we do some things. And if that means date night in, then but it's nice outside, maybe you make a picnic in your yard. I don't know. It could, it could go all directions. I also love that we're going to interview an expert each month, and we already have our first month confirmed. It's going to be Kurt Thompson. So if you go back to season one and you listen to the episode called When You Feel Overwhelmed, he's a psychiatrist that really connects the soul and, and the mind. Mind and the will and the emotions about shame and about uh, healing. And and he really just unpacks from a science and faith perspective um, this psychiatric and counseling recovery. So
1: it's kind of like free counseling, right? And we're going to get to interact with experts, do all the things we've just been discussing, but we're going to do this every day. Weekends, you're going to have off. If you don't want to watch the things happening live, you can always go back and watch them. You're going to be in a community so that you can learn from one another, not only us. And so we're excited about this. The next 90 days, we're committed to you. And for those of you who can join us, you can go to slash community and you can learn more about it. You can see everything that's included. It's $97 over the course of these three months for this learning community. And so we hope you'll join us and be a part of taking seriously how we're going to implement these rhythms. Now, today's episode of the podcast, we are so excited about because Michael Hyatt has been someone who's not only a great author, he's an incredible leader, great teacher. He's somebody that's helped people understand this foundational idea of rhythm, Mm -hmm. I think more than most, especially in a corporate environment. So those of you who are used to really mapping out your year and how to be productive, I know all that's changing a lot right now, but there is no better time for you to take a count and an audit of your calendar, of your time, of your vision. And that's what we're talking with Michael about today.
0: Yes, he talks about taking a personal audit and a life vision years prior that really influenced everything he did, whether it was family or business, how he spent his days, his calendar. And I was so inspired because it really does begin with Gabe and I establishing what are our life goals and... Um, as individuals as as a couple and then as a family and then what is that what is the mission that God's entrusted to us that we feel called towards how do we make room for that to have a lot of freedom to soar and that really comes when you establish that life vision so everything that that Michael talks about is centered around vision and as you can imagine he would be a visionary voice in a moment like this
1: Yeah I believe the vision driven leader his new book is so well timed I mean we're mm-hmm. in a moment where If you're not clear on your vision, especially if you're leading a company or a staff or a team or even it's your family, if you're not clear on what really matters, what is the most important thing we're doing? Who is it that we're trying to serve? How do we want to do it? The world's been upended a bit and there's going to be new questions about how we do what we do and what we do, but the why doesn't change. And what Michael's going to help us do is better understand the importance of the why. And then give us some time to take inventory, something, Rebecca, that we talk about a lot. Just kind of take inventory. How am I spending my time? How can I be more intentional? And how can we learn from a leader like Michael who can help us better understand how to succeed even in a moment like this? So let's listen in now to Mike Hyatt. Mike, it's such a privilege to have you on this podcast and this conversation. Rebecca and I have known you for many, many years, and I'm excited for our listeners to get to hear from you.
2: Thanks, Gabe. Rebecca, delighted to be with you.
1: Yeah, I think the conversation today really gets at the heart of this idea of rhythms. And Mm -hmm. ever since I've known you, you've been a man who lives by rhythms. You lead by rhythms, your companies that you've built, you incorporate this into the thinking but sometimes, you know, in our conversations on this podcast, you know, we talk a lot about personal rhythms, which I want to hear a little more about yours. But I think today we're going to, we're going to move into like, how should this affect the things you lead? How should rhythmic yes. type thinking affect vision, organization, all the things you've been called to do and create? Mm. And so, but let, let's start with just your own world. And like, when did the thought of living in rhythm even become a conversation point for you? How old were you?
2: Well, it actually began with a crisis. So I ended up uh, in the early 2000s in the ER about three different times thinking I was having a heart attack. And each time they would check me out and they'd say, you're okay, there's nothing wrong with your heart. And so I'd go home and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And so finally, at the recommendation of John Maxwell, I visited Dr. Gage in in, uh, Nashville and he's a cardiologist. And I went to him and so he checked me out, put me on the machine, did all the stress tests and everything else. And he said, you know, your heart's fine. He said, you have two issues. He said, the first one is you have acid reflux. And he said, the second issue is that's being caused by too much stress. Mm -hmm. And he said, what is going on in your life that you would end up in the ER three different times? Because he said, you're having panic attacks. And so I I had no idea. He said, that mimics all the same symptoms. He said, 30% of the patients that I see as a cardiologist, their hearts are fine. They're having these same kinds of issues. And I told him, I said, well, you know, my career's taken off and, you know, I've got all this stress at work and I'm working 70 hours a week. I'm traveling constantly. I'm not eating well. I'm not exercising. know, it's just kind of an honest moment. And he said, and he said to me, and he was very candid, he said, well, he said, here's the truth. If something doesn't change, you're going to end up back in here, but I may or may not be able to fix you. Wow. And so he said, so you can decide now to change everything or you can keep going the way you're going. But I've seen this movie before, and it doesn't end well.
0: That's the story of so many of us. I, I had panic disorder a decade ago, and same thing. I remember going to the doctor multiple times, again, heart racing, shallow breathing, like whatever that fear is, and it feels very physical. So it many does. people, like, you really think, like, fix me now. And, and the stress level that you're addressing, uh, we have had a lot of conversations about this with organizational mm. leaders. And, um now that the data is out there proving this, 77% of society today experiences physical symptoms of stress. And so it is. It's playing out in these emergency room visits, right? Yep. Where all of a sudden, we're like, we actually have to reorder our life. And you have a comment about it's never too late to, to, to have a vision and, and to change things. And that's very much my philosophy. It's never too late to reestablish what you want that's your right. life to be about. So you did that.
2: I did that. But it, and it really began by getting a clear vision of something different you know, the status quo is not acceptable anymore. And so I had to get dissatisfied with the status quo and say, something has to change. Unfortunately for a lot of people, it takes a crisis, but it doesn't have to take a crisis. You can, if you're smart, if you're wise, you'll see the trajectory of where your lifestyle is taking you and say, you know, this is not ending on a good trend trend line. I'm going to make some changes. So for me, it was meeting an executive coach, Daniel Harkavy. And he began to guide me through the process of creating a a life uh, plan. In fact, we ended up writing together a book on that that was a Wall Street Journal bestseller uh, called uh, Living Forward. And it begins with getting a clear vision, not just in your work life, where people mostly think about vision, but it's in the totality of your life. Because all these different dimensions of our life, all these, I call them domains, but all these different domains of your life, they bleed into one another. Mm -hmm. But they're actually symbiotic, you know, so that if... If you're doing well at work, you know, it gives you confidence and joy and the financial resources that you can bring home, right? right? But if your health is together and you've got a happy home life, that gives you kind of, you know, clear thinking, greater creativity, and a rested body to bring back to work. So these things are interrelated. And by the same token, if you don't give attention to these areas, if your health falls apart, it has an impact on your vocation, has an impact on your relationships. If you've got stress at work, it's going to impact your relationships and your health. So all these things, work together. So it's incumbent upon us to get a comprehensive vision for what's the end look like? How do we how do we want this to turn out?
1: Yeah. And I think it's hard sometimes for executive leaders to see this connection between their personal life, how they're eating, their exercise, and that if they spend more time doing that and less time working, that somehow that's going to end well. You know, that there's that pressure that I've just got to do more work. I've got to spend the 70 hours a week working on budgets and projections and leadership and training people and recruiting and traveling and speaking. And it's hard for them to make that connection until they go through this moment of crisis and change. And, And like you, yeah, we want people not to have to go through that. And sometimes hearing stories like yours can be that cautionary tale that helps us just stop and go, wait, let me just learn from some Michael Hyatt wisdom right now on what to do. So you get a coach. And what are some of the big changes that you had to make that were probably hard at first and yeah. people around you were like, what are we doing here?
2: Well, first of all, it wasn't overnight. It was a process. And there was a series kind of wake-up calls. That was kind of in my health. And then I had a similar wake-up call in my my marriage where my wife sat me down in the den after I'd had a huge year at work and had brought home a big bonus check and expected her to be super excited and so I, and I've been married for 42 years now, but this was back about that same time. And we went into the den and she said to me, she said, you know, I'm your biggest cheerleader and I love you and I'm grateful for you. But she said, I got to be honest. She said, you're never home and your five girls need you. And then she said to me, she said, and even when you are, even when you're home, you're not really here. And then she said, she started crying. She said, I feel like a single mom. Wow. And that just slew me. You know, I just felt like I wanted to defend myself, but I knew she was right. You know, I I thought I'd achieved the pinnacle of success, but it was a false summit. And so over the time, you know, I, I mean, I felt like at that moment, I, I felt like I was facing this impossible choice. You know, I could either win at work or I could succeed at life, but I couldn't have both. And kind of after I worked through that, I sort of went on this quest to say, well, what if there was a third way? You know, what if what if there was a way where I wouldn't have to compromise my contribution at work or at home, and I could really achieve more by doing less and make space for my the things that were most important without throttling back my career ambition. And I think that's what people often see as that impossible choice. You know, it's either hustle harder and just hope you get to the point where you can relax and give attention to all the stuff that's important, or you intentionally throttle back your professional ambition, but that leaves you with a lot of regret, a lot of wasted potential, a lot of unfulfilled dreams and i said what if you could do both mm. and just to, just to fast forward now I'll, I'll stop here but last year my business grew 62% and i took 162 days off
0: <laughs> that did you guys hear that <laughs>
2: so, congratulations that's i think amazing. so that's achieving more by doing less
1: yeah and part of part of how you do that and how you help others do that i know recently over the last couple of years you came out with a planner called full focus planner and and it was around focus and and now that you're talking i'm wondering was one of your learnings that most of the time we could do both of these things, but we actually aren't as focused yeah. as we ought to be. So the hours we're spending in that work life, you really don't need to spend 70 if you'll actually optimize the, the 40 you're there or the 20 you're there.
2: Absolutely. And There's a lot of components of that, and vision is a key one. First of all, you've got to have vision before you can have alignment. And you've got to have alignment before you can have execution. In the absence of vision and without alignment, people are very busy but they're basically, it's a lot of fake work, busy work, sideways energy, people are going nowhere, but they're busy all day long every day, and they and they never feel like they can catch up. Vision, when it's done right, whether your personal life or your business, it acts as a filter because not all tasks are created equal. Some contribute to the vision, some are just busyness. So once you get clarity on the vision, all of a sudden, now you have a basis for not only filtering opportunities, but saying no to things. So I say no to eighty percent of the opportunities that come my way which means that I'm only doing the things that contribute toward this vision of my personal life and my professional life. and it keeps me very focused to your point Gabe.
0: So I have a question about vision. So first of all, how far into your career were you when you had this crisis revelation?
2: Yeah so I was about 40 years old.
0: okay so I was 20 hurt. years in you know or 15, 18, 20 years in. Yep. Did you go into it initially with vision and did it leak? or was it not clear? Or were you not even sure at the time in your 20s what vision well, would, I, would be ultimately?
2: Yeah, I kind of had vision, but it was very opportunistic. It was very self-centered. It was just kind of like get to the ne- next rung on the ladder. And it wasn't sort of an overarching vision. It was a Yeah. Yeah. So like in Living Forward, Daniel and I talk about like, like if you were suddenly at your own funeral, you know, in the box, what would people be saying about you? I mean, that's like the ultimate test, right? So to to start, like Doctor Covey says, start with the end in mind. It, there wasn't a vision like that, and so when you're in a vision that's very opportunistic and it's just you know like the next thing on the horizon, then you're just hustling, you're scrambling, you're you're sacrificing everything to get to that next thing, and you're forgetting about sort of that the we're we got to be playing the long game, that this is a marathon, and that if you sacrifice your health or your family to win your professional life, what have you really gained at the end of the day? And I mean, you you meet people, I meet people all the time that have these enormous health crises in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, or they're getting divorced or their kids won't talk to them, all these different crises. And I, I just think at that point, thankfully, I was able to wake up through those crises and see where it was going so I didn't have to experience that.
0: Right. I wonder if young leaders who find success early on. You know, like you said, it's like just, you're just looking at the next, the next, the next, yeah. like more, more, more achievement is the reward. Not so much the end game, but just right. like we, we conquered this thing. Now let's keep going. Do you think part of the ability to have a life vision, a long view takes just some maturity or takes maybe some getting off course? Or do you think mm. you can be 25 and go, actually with the right training, with the right instruction, I can have a view of a long game.
2: I absolutely think with the right training, you can have the right view. I think you've got to learn to prioritize things like rest and rejuvenation. And you've also got to see how those things actually will contribute to your ultimate success. But you've got to redefine success. You know, defining the win is important. And if success is only about material success, if it's only about this world, if it's only about now, that's one definition of success. But if I'm looking at a 70-year version of success and I'm trying to define what's that going to be like, you know, I want a life where, you know, yes, I want to be successful professionally. I want to have as big of an impact professionally as I can. But I want kids that love me, that talk to me, grand t- kids that want to come over and see me and hang with me. You know, I want my health, you know, and we can't predict all of that, but we have a lot more control than a lot of people think. And so all that stuff has to be considered. To me, that's kind of full-orbed comprehensive success.
1: Yeah. And that's what we love talking about here is rhythms for life. It's not just rhythms for career success, for monetary gain, for just enjoying vacation all the time and not having relationships, but being alone. I mean, it's really yeah. about what is a full and abundant life. And I wonder what are some of the rhythms you put in place, whether it's exercise, eating, or, or maybe even now today, like this, you know, you have 162 days. Did you say that you worked or didn't work? Didn't work. Okay which yeah. I'm sure you were, your mind was still running, but you, you had 162 days this year back in your calendar that you could really prioritize it the way you wanted to do. And maybe it would help give people a little vision to just know, how do you think about your time now? What is the benefit on the other side of making a decision like that 20 years ago, if we were to all look out and say, here's what that can start to feel like at my stage of my career and That's my good. family?
2: So typically it starts for me, kind of the biggest picture is sort of my annual cycle. And so usually in the fall, I sit down with my assistant and I, we go through an exercise called spend your days on paper. And so it's very much like a budget. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about spend your money on paper, you know, make sure that every dollar has a name and has a home. I do the same thing with all my days. So I say, okay, I've got a specific number of days, about 250 days that I can, you know, work. And so how do I want to spend my weekends and all that stuff? And so I start allocating it by category. How many days do I want to spend speaking this next year? How many days do I want to spend in executive coaching? How much time do I want to spend writing? And I always start, the very first thing I start with is my sabbatical, which is 30 days every summer, and then my vacations, and then I block off every weekend. Now I have four rules for my off time, for my, I call this offstage time. So I can't Think about work. I can't talk about work. I can't read about work, and I can't do work. Wow. Now, now the reason I do that, and and, and but by, by the way, I'm not only always perfect with that, but that's my goal because I can't really rejuvenate if I'm using that time kind of in letting the back door open to let work back in.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah that's good. I mean, because I think that's the temptation. You go on vacation. And that becomes the time that I can catch up on all the reading. <laughs> exactly. that I, I need did that to for do, years, right? And it's hard to get ahead.
0: I thought surely you were going to say, but I can still read about work because I do find that I am so curious about the things I'm interested. Like I like to read. Yeah, like it's crazy nerdy right now, but I like to read books about the brain, and I'm, I'm just very energized by it. But you're saying no. So what do you do? What do you do? Okay, so this what is, do you read? This
2: this is what makes you a much healthier and more interesting person is to have something. This is a word that a lot of people dismiss, but they didn't dismiss it a couple hundred years ago. It was an important part of everybody's life, and that was hobbies. Yes. So for me, I've got, like, I love to fly fish. So for me, because of my personality type, on finders Achiever's my number one. On the Enneagram, I'm a three. So I'm like, achieve, 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 achieve. So I've got to do things where I'm not achieving. So intentionally do that. So fly flight- that mean
0: you're not catching fish or <laughs> that- Yeah, listen,
2: th- those <laughs> trout don't
1: necessarily help you achieve, right? They're tricky. That's that's a good hobby. Oh uh, I
0: know Dave has some stories of fly fishing
1: yeah, I, I like um, to fly fish, but I don't catch many.
2: Well, I I was I usually catch quite a few because I usually hire a guide. But uh, my wife started <laughs> fly fishing he's, with he had vision that he was gonna go home from that trip with fish. That's it. So it all starts with a vision. So, fly fishing. So, another thing that I do, and I always try to do this on my sabbatical, like I'll, I'll build in times of education on my hobbies. So, for example, uh, I play Native, Native American flute. And so, I have like a world-class wow. flute instructor. You know, I meet with him every two weeks for lessons. And I went to a flute festival this last summer. And so, I'm really trying to cultivate those, yeah. you know, hobbies.
0: Did you do music as a child? Like what I still- did. Okay. Did you play an instrument?
2: I did. I played guitar and piano and I was a music minor. I was going to wow. be music major until I went to Baylor University and then realized I wasn't that good. So, um, <laughs> so I wasn't good enough to at least you know do it professionally.
0: I love this in the create rhythm. I talk about dreaming again and recovering your eight year old yes. self. This idea of like what did you love when you're eight, nine, and ten that kind of drove your parents crazy. So, okay, if I, you had had a Native American flute at eight, I know that would have driven your parents crazy. Oh, it would have
2: driven them crazy. <laughs> but the funny thing was like I, I played the guitar for years and then I kind of put it away when I got into my professional career and I didn't play anymore. In fact, I didn't even have a guitar. So about 10 years ago, I went with one of my daughters to a, a very well-known guitar store here in Nashville. And I sat down and they brought me, I'm going to tear up, I I talk about this. They brought me a Martin D28, which I used to own at one time, and put it in my hands and I started playing it and I started crying like a baby. Wow. wow, wow, wow. Because it connected me with that young version of myself. And my daughter said to me, she said, dad, you have to buy this guitar. Oh. And I did.
0: That's yeah. amazing, and
2: so it was. It's just a great story, but that, but that kind of stuff is that
0: awakened you. It like awakened that, me. that totally. side of you that had kind of been yep. shut down, because again, somebody probably at Baylor was like, "You're not that good, so I'm just going to tuck that away and use, yeah, use my talents so elsewhere."
2: That, yeah. That's exactly right. So anyway, back to my annual cycle. So I planned my sabbatical. I planned uh, my vacations. Gail and I are very intentional about our vacations. You know, that's really important. Very intentional about our weekends, but I have to kind of fill that time with non-work things. Or here's what will happen to most people. They will drift back into what's familiar. And part of the reason people drift back to work is because you can control it. You can measure it. It's familiar. You can catalog the wins. You can check off the tasks. Relationships are a lot messier. Hobbies are not quite that, you know, objective and measurable. So I think we have to get comfortable with this if we're going we're gonna to have a successful, full-orbed life. So spend your days on paper. Mark out all the offstage time. Then I go through and I talk about the front stage time. You know, what are the times I'm going to be in front of a, you know, on a stage in front of an audience or, you know, doing a podcast or webinars or whatever. And then what's the backstage time I need to prepare for that. And so we map out all that in advance and that's kind of the budget. And when the time's gone, it's gone. Yeah, that's, that's great.
1: Such discipline to that process where you're saying no, like you said, 80% of the time yeah, you're declining requests. I'm sure, you know, for the whole next calendar year where you're going to be. Pretty what much. you're doing. There's not a ton of margin in there to just, yeah. I mean, I mean, you have the margin if you want to take away from maybe vacation time to do a fun thing that comes up, but from the work life yeah. side, you've got it booked.
2: We we try to leave a little blank space so that we can, you know, I want to, I want to be serendipitous, you know, when things come up, but mostly when the things come up are going to be in my free time. Right. So the, anyway, that's how, that's basically how we plan the year, but then it gets really daily too, because, you know, I, I really, Advise and practice having four daily rituals, so I have a work day. I uh, have a morning ritual. You know, what would prepare me for a great day where I would show up as my best self? And so for me, that usually starts in the morning. Um I'll read the Bible, I'll pray, I'll journal, go exercise, listen to an audiobook usually while I'm exercising, come home, get ready for work. so that's like the morning ritual.
0: What do you eat for breakfast? I usually don't. you don't
2: yeah, i, I I'm
0: you're still fasting,
2: yeah, I'm doing intermittent fasting.
0: So I, for the last
2: year, or so, so I've I don't usually eat breakfast.
0: And does that affect your energy level and like, not at all? Okay,
2: because I've been doing I've, I've been doing keto. It's not for everybody, but I've been doing it for over a year and a half, and I've got more energy than is allowed wow. by law.
0: All. And I have to ask, do you drink coffee? Yes. Okay, because I sometimes encounter people who have like energy through the roof and they don't drink coffee, and so I was like, I was just curious, but I love coffee. Yeah, same, same. As moms, we've got a lot on our plates. We don't have time to hover and make sure what our kids are watching are always appropriate and definitely don't have time to pre-screen every single thing. And that's why we love Minnow. Minnow is a no-brainer for Christian families. If you're looking for a safe place for your kids to watch their favorite TV shows, Minnow is an ad-free streaming video app designed just for kids with thousands of shows that teach kids about Jesus, including 30 episodes of your favorite classic Veggie Tales. You'll feel safe letting your kids choose any show they want to watch on Minnow. You won't have to worry about what might pop up next, and there are no commercials. Just go visit gominnow.com. That's M-I-N-N-O. Use coupon RHYTHMS, R-H-Y-T-H-M-S, to begin your seven-day free trial.
1: Mike, keep going through this ritual process daily, yeah, because so I that... think this is where we get off track, is what should the day look like?
2: Right, and I think, I think there, there needs to be an architecture to the day and a design of the day. And it uh, doesn't have to have a lot of structure, but for me, these are the constants. There's that morning ritual. Then there's what I call my workday startup ritual, where I kind of consolidate and segregate the things that tend to overrun almost everybody's schedule, like checking on email, checking my social media accounts. I want to do that, but I want not do that all day long. You know, so I do that in my workday startup ritual. I identify my what I call my daily big three. You know, it's part of the planner. You know, what are the three most important tasks I have to get done today? And then I go about my day, and it's different almost every day. Then I have a workday shutdown ritual. And so it's a very similar thing, but also kind of prepares me for how can I show up and be my best self at home. And then my evening ritual. So, you know, that's everything from uh, praying again to Gail and I talk about what were our three biggest wins. Um, I like to take a hot bath and, yeah. you know, read a little bit. Well,
1: it's it's helpful. Thank you for sharing just kind of personally how you think through your day. I think for those listening who hear all of that and go, wow, that's a lot of structure or I'm concerned I wouldn't be able to be that disciplined to follow through, you know, we know the, the principle that, actual freedom comes through constraints. Yes. And yet totally. in our culture today there's not a lot of talk about that. Like the the idea of freedom has become do whatever you want whenever you want. Don't make these commitments. Don't create a one year vision for yourself because what if something fun comes up that right. you want to do. So again, I think you're giving us some wisdom on why does it matter that we kind of live into these disciplines and what is the freedom that you feel on a daily basis even though you have that structure in place? How do how do you feel going into your day when you've started to live into those rhythms?
2: Yeah, totally free. You know, in fact when I wrote my book Free to Focus, I said there were kind of four freedoms that I was after. You know, I want the the freedom certainly to focus, and I think that's like a superpower today because so many people are distracted by all the stuff that's coming at them constantly, interruptions, yeah. distractions. So I wanted the freedom to focus. I wanted the freedom to be totally present. So when I'm here talking to you guys, I'm not thinking about You know, what's on fire at the office, or, you know, what I've got to do this afternoon, I'm totally here. That's what I want. I want that freedom to be totally present. Uh, I want the freedom to be spontaneous so that if something does come, my life is not so calendared. I mean, that may have sounded like a lot of structure, but like when my grandkids drop by in the afternoon, you know, usually I can stop what I'm doing. It's not that big a deal. I've only got three important things to do for the day. I can stop, play with them, talk to them for a minute. And then I want the freedom. I learned this in Italy the freedom to do absolutely nothing at all. Yes. You know, and just, they're really good at that. They are. Yeah. They
0: are. There's like a, a whole gelato experience. There's a pre-dinner, a dinner, a post-dinner. You're just hanging out and somebody's serenading you from somewhere. So this is probably a vacation you guys take, right?
2: Yeah, we did. We went, we went over there for a month.
0: Oh, wow. And it
2: was so great. So like on our sabbatical, we always try to go somewhere yeah. fun. I want to say one other thing, though, uh, Gabe, that you mentioned, like it sounds a lot of structure. So my daughter, Megan, whom you know, because she bought your old home, and... um She is a mom of five, and her morning ritual, mine is like several hours long, hers is like 25 minutes. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. Seasons of
2: life is is a really important consideration.
0: Well, and that, again, when you live within the constraints of rhythm, you actually flourish. That's right. when you get beyond the bounds of that, you start to spin out. Because you're right. You're like, you actually now have the freedom to simplify. What you really are saying, you've actually simplified your life. You're not creating all these extra tasks. You've decided through vision what matters most. That's right. And you're aligning your day accordingly. So I want to talk about your new book. Okay. Super, super pumped. The vision-driven leader. And I I love this because I think what you were just describing is you need to even clarity of vision, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit into this. And I think a lot of us listening need that. We've maybe had initial success and we've grown something to a certain place. And we've got some clarity as we navigate still a little bit through some muddy waters. And I do think a lot of us are prone to distraction because one thing I've learned in calling or vacation is if you're finding a stride, you start to be invited into all these things Mm -hmm. because of just opportunities. And you begin to say yes and yes and yes and yes. And all of a sudden... I know for me in one of the chapters, I talk about recovering your passion. I lost sight of the first thing, like the main thing, because everything layered on top of it, and then I was just too tired to do anything. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about why, why you wrote this book and why you think it's so important to have this kind of a vision going forward.
2: Yeah, well, vision, I think, drives everything, or lack of it, you know, really impedes everything. And so I got a first inkling of this when I was at Thomas Nelson and took over this division in the company, which at the time, which I didn't know, was 14 out of 14 in terms of revenue growth, profit margin, dead last and everything. You know, couldn't have been in worse shape, which was great for me as a young manager because I, I couldn't screw it up. You know, it could only get better. But we were able to turn that thing around, not in three years, which is what I told the CEO how long it was going to take, but we did it in a year and a half. And it all started with vision. I just got away for several days, and I articulated in a much more primitive form than I that I do in the book now. But I just, I just, I wrote it down. That was number one. I wrote it in the present tense, and I wrote it in terms of outcomes. What did I want to see for this division? And it was as granular as you know. I wanted everybody in my division. To get a bonus because for years we had not gotten a bonus at the end of the year. So I wanted us to be so successful that everybody got a bonus check. And I kind of visualized what that would be like to hand out that bonus check to my team members. And how many bestsellers, you know, as a publishing company, how many bestsellers that we wanted on the bestseller list, New York Times bestsellers, uh, what our revenue was going to be, how many books we were doing. And, and this is so often the problem with the way vision is taught. People think they need to come up with a short, pithy, clever vision statement that somehow encapsulates everything you should be doing, but it's so motivating that people get out of bed and want to do it. And I think that 90% of the leaders I meet who've been taught that sort of vision statement approach, they just go, you know what? I'm not that clever. And I'm not that charismatic. And I guess the vision thing isn't for me. And so that's why so many companies don't have written vision statements. It's rare that I meet a company that has a vision statement.
0: Yeah, it's so much pressure to, so to much put pressure. everything in this succinct, perfect sentence, and then you're like, we'll come back to it. <laughs> and, and then I, you never come back to it.
2: No, that's right. And I, I say, forget that. So so what I advocate and teach in the book and practice in our company, and have taught now hundreds and hundreds of uh, entrepreneurs, create a vision script. So in our home, which is a few blocks from here, we've done this big renovation this summer. We put a big den on the back of the house. So you know, I could have come up with some pithy statement that would guide the contractors and the carpenters and the decorators and all that, but it would have been a mess, right? So instead, we hired an architect, and we created a comprehensive blueprint, then we had a comprehensive budget, you know, there was a whole plan. So when it was built, it was exactly what we anticipated. It ended up being exactly what all of us could collectively see together because we had this robust compelling vision of what it was going to be when it's finished. That's how a vision script works in your business.
1: Yeah, you you have these five questions that are important to think about for this script, you know, what do you want? Yeah. Is it clear? Does it inspire? Is it practical? Can you sell it? Yeah. So, when you get into this script for a leader who's maybe never done that before, why are these five questions and getting into some of those other areas about selling it and does it inspire, is it practical? Why are all those elements so important to a vision actually working?
2: Well, a vision absolutely has to be clear. You know, if it's not clear to you, and that's where it's got to start, and if it's not exciting to you, it's not going to be clear or exciting to anybody else. So it's got to be that for you first. And that's why I advocate writing it down because there's something about writing that forces you to get clear. Thoughts disentangle themselves, pass it over the lips and through pencil tips, somebody once said. and oh, I think that's it's, so good. And I think it's really true. So you've you got to write it down. You've got to make it inspiring. Almost all my company is full of, it's, it's millennials. And millennials don't come to work to get a paycheck. They come because they got to be connected to the vision. They want to know that they're connected to a bigger, better story, that they're creating something in the world that's meaningful. And the thing a vision does, it helps with recruiting, it helps with retention, but it's got to be inspiring. you got to be doing something important in the world. And every company can be doing this. you got to be able to sell it. And I think that one mistake that, that leaders often make with vision, they think, oh, okay, I got the vision, you know, once and done, file it. But like Andy Stanley says, vision leaks. And it does. I had an executive coach come to me in 2009 in the teeth of the recession. And I, I was talking about vision. And I said to her, I said, Eileen, I feel like I'm talking about vision all the time. I'm tired of hearing myself talk about this. And she said, are you really tired of it? I said, I'm, I'm, I want to vomit. I'm so tired of talking about vision. She said, you're half done. She said the same thing. She didn't have Andy's language, but she said, you got to keep filling that bucket of vision because what happens is people begin to disassociate their daily actions from the bigger picture of what they're doing. And it's the leader's work. It's one of our most important tasks Mm. is connecting people's daily actions to the bigger vision.
0: Which leads me to my next question, the difference then between a leader and a manager is repeating that over and over, right?
2: That is. I mean, the thing that makes a leader a leader is a leader is articulating a more compelling, bigger, superior version of the future. You know, and I use in the example, JFK is a great example of that with his moonshot speech. You know, we're going to put a man on the moon. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody thought he was nuts. There was no technology for it. Nobody had a clue of how to make it work. Even NASA resisted him. They said, you're nuts. I mean, in, in so many words, I quote the exact words in the book. But guess what happened? You know, he didn't live to see it, unfortunately, but less than a decade, we put the first man on the moon. Contrast that, and I use the other example of George H.W. Bush, a fine man, but he himself said, oh, the vision thing. You know, I mean, he dismissed it. I worked for a guy one time who basically said, the vision thing isn't me. And so I'm going to appoint a committee to create a vision for our company. And he put me in charge of that committee. And he wasn't part of it. And it just doesn't work like that. You know, And it's not that difficult. And that's one of the things that excites me about the book is I unpack it so that mere mortals, people that don't consider themselves charismatic, who don't think they're visionary, can be true leaders by articulating the way, by saying, this is where we're going to go.
0: Could you unpack for a moment then the role of a manager with, with that vision?
2: Yeah, so managers are important. They're good. So the leader is all about envisioning the future. The manager is all about administration, organization, aligning the resources, and making sure that we're marching toward that vision. Those are two important roles, but you you will never get a great visionary company with just a manager. You've got to have both roles in it. By the same token, if you just have a visionary leader without the right managers in place, you know, all that stuff remains ethereal and kind of beyond reach. So you need both.
1: We love these healthcare sharing ministries. Rebecca and I and our family have benefited so much from a community of people who all are taking care of one another's medical needs. I know in this moment right now, and especially if you're experiencing a healthcare need, you could feel alone, you can feel isolated, and that starts to affect us emotionally and spiritually, as well as physically. Well, Samaritan Ministries connects you to other members who will come alongside you, not only with prayer and encouragement, but also financial support for your medical need. So when you have a need, the need is met. It's a beautiful thing. Recently, our community, our workplace, and maybe even our health care need has changed. But as Christians, we know that God remains the same. He's faithful, loving, and trustworthy. Be encouraged, for we are reminded in Romans 15 that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Learn more at rfl podcast. So as you come up with this vision and now you're communicating, it, I know this is a big priority to you. This is what you teach is how vision cascades, you know, so that it doesn't leak and, and how regularly the vision has to be brought up. Can you talk a little bit about that rhythm of how often vision has to be communicated?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that we do in our company is we have an annual team meeting where we get everybody present. We report on the past year and we're very transparent with our operating results and what that means for people in terms of their bonuses and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then we kind of go into our, we call it our core ideology. So this would be our core values, our mission, and our vision script. So I read through the entire vision script with enthusiasm. So, you know, I'm not, it's not going to just be this thing that's just like, okay, we're going to do this. And, you know, because if you're bored, you're going to bore everybody else, right? So I'm like totally engaged, my body, everything. And uh, so I had one person come up, somebody in customer service, that had never spoken to me in the company before. She'd only been with us about three months. She come up, came up to me afterwards with tears in her eyes, and she said, wow, now I get it. Now all of a sudden my work, which let's be honest, customer service is not that exciting. Some people are called to it, thank God. But she said, now I get it. She said, thank you for this vision script. She said, I loved it. So we do that once a year, but that's not enough. So every quarter we take one component and I have four components in the vision script. So we talk about the future of our team, future of our product, future of our marketing, future of our impact. And so we have one of our teammates read through and they can illustrated, they can do whatever they want. So once a quarter at our quarterly team training, we go through one aspect of that script. Not only that, but we're using it constantly to inform our decision making. So if somebody brings an opportunity. Is that consistent with our vision script? Now there are sometimes you get you you say, no, it's not. The vision script needs to change. Okay, So there's that flexibility. It's rare, but that there's that flexibility. But it has to be a living, breathing, guiding document that informs your decision making. If it's not that, then it just becomes sort of that dusty relic that gets put on a bookshelf somewhere and never referred to, or put on a website, even worse.
1: So as we talk about vision for our companies, maybe the projects that we're leading, could you apply vision to somebody who's thinking about, how do I lead my family better? How do I apply some of this corporate thinking to This could be the mother at home. It could be a father who's just saying, look, I feel like my my kids' vision's leaking about our family and how we're supposed to work together and where we're going together. Do these principles apply to trying to lead a family?
2: They do, but I'm going to be honest. I'm only now beginning to realize the impact of that. So I'm taking my family this summer, one week of our summer sabbatical, we're taking our entire family, grandkids and everybody to Colorado for one week. And during that week, we're going to come up with our family mission. And our family vision statement. So I'm working through the categories right now, yeah. but I was really informed by a book called Family Wealth uh, by a guy named Hughes. He gave me a vision for, a 100-year vision for my family, seven generations. Mm. And he talks about how do you transfer wealth, not just financial capital, but what's the spiritual capital? What's the intellectual capital? You know, Because certainly if you don't have that, then the financial capital will just dissipate. Yeah. But why does? And I want to ask my family this question: Why do we exist? Why did God put us together? What is the glue that holds our family together? And do we deserve to to live on? And if so, why? Why why are we put here? Why does God have us here?
1: Yeah, those are the kind of conversations you can begin to have. Yes, when you've given twenty plus years now to trying to live into these rhythms and practice these things, so that you can have that conversation because you have something more you can now offer the world. You've been demonstrating an intentional way of living to those mm. around you. They've benefited from it personally. They've seen how much their life has flourished. So I think it's encouraging to all of us that look, play the long game. Don't yes. play the short game. Culture is going to oh. push you towards the short game, to the quick wins, to the easy successes. But what we're learning is, look, that doesn't usually play out. No, you know, we usually find that it's the long game that plays out.
2: And everything in our culture wars against that. Yeah you know, it's very short term, you know, most people have the attention of the news cycle and then they're on to the next thing. But I think it, you know, if we're smart, if we're wise, we'll think on a much bigger time horizon than that. And that's why I was so excited about that family thing about a hundred years, you know, right. And again, I'm just on the front end of that. You know, I know enough to ask the questions and guide the conversation, but I don't have the answers yet.
1: Well, thank you for leading in that way. Thank you for bringing so much of your wisdom to all of us to help us get it right. And to, for those listening who are young, to maybe start out in their 20s and and make the right decisions, prioritize the right things. But it's just been a gift to hear from you and all of your wisdom. So thanks for being with us. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Rebecca.
0: So Gabe is going to sign up for lessons for the African Flute starting tomorrow. I mean,
1: obviously, I think that's cool. I love it when people give us a little more Insight into their hobbies, you know, right. and and I love that he does that. He takes these lessons. He's serious about it, and it just continues to remind me of the importance that we all play and that we make time for things that maybe don't feel so productive, but they're actually really good for our mind.
0: Right. And that's what's happening right now. I think so many people who are rethinking work and the vision of their life and their family and work is more of a holistic picture. And maybe we've gotten off course and we just see vision at work, but we don't often see it at home or even for our personal flourishing. But hobbies do that, you know, like seeing a broader Perspective of what what makes us come alive, you know, what brings us joy and delight. God God wants that for us. He He gave us so much diversity in creation and in His people. So He's saying, don't think small. Expand your vision and find a hobby that and is restored. Also,
1: I think I love the idea of a calendar audit. I mean, you and I often talk about it. Like, how much time are we going to spend doing this? And every year, we try to make those decisions about how many nights away for travel in a month. You know, what trips and experiences do we need to plan and build in for the children? You know, all those kinds of things. But looking back, I mean, this is a great season. Mm -hmm. Things are a little slower, a little quieter. And I think it's a great time to evaluate, how did you spend the last year? Yeah. Clearly, these last few weeks, you're not spending the way you thought you were going to. And even the next couple of months, as we move into summer, plans are changing. And you have a real opportunity to now decide what is the most important way for me to spend my time. You can hear even from Michael that when he's done this, it's given him back more time to be with his family. So this counterintuitive idea starts to emerge when we're intentional with our time. So get Michael's new book, The Vision Driven Leader. It's available today everywhere books are sold. Take that, read it, discuss it with your friends or your spouse and have great conversations about vision. And if you want to join us, we start tomorrow with the Rhythms for Life Learning Community. And you can join us by going to RebeccaLyons.com slash community so we'll hope you'll be a part of that invite your friends we'll be with you tomorrow and we're looking forward to continuing how to apply the rhythms for life into your everyday moments.